When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tortoise. On the 29th of November 2020, in the middle of the afternoon, in the depths of the pandemic, Boris Johnson found time to WhatsApp Lord Brownlow of Sherlock Row about the apartment he and Carrie Simmons and their baby Wilfred were living in above 11 Downing Street. Hi, David. Johnson writes. I'm afraid parts of our flat are still a bit of a tip. and I'm keen to allow Lulu Little to get on with it. Can I possibly ask her to get in touch with you for approvals? Many thanks and all the best. Boris. P.S. I'm on the great exhibition plan. Will revert. An hour and 45 minutes later, Lord Brownlow replies. Afternoon, Prime Minister. I hope you're both well. Sorry for the delay. I was out for a walk and didn't have my work phone with me. Of course, get Lulu to call me and we'll get it sorted ASAP. Thanks for thinking about G2. Best wishes, David. 20 minutes after that, there's a P.S. from Lord Brownlow. I should have said, as the trust isn't set up yet, will be in January. Approval is a doddle, as it's only me, and I know where the pounds will come from. So as soon as Lulu calls, we can crack on. David. Lulu Little is interior designer of choice for London's boho set, and for Carrie Simmons. Lord Brownlow is big, very big, in insurance, and a conservative donor. The Trust is the Downing Street Trust, which was being set up for Prime Minister Johnson by supporters when they learnt he needed help refurbishing the flat. I'm Kat Nealon, and this is episode two of The Six Million Pound Man, a slow newscast from Tortoise Media. In episode one, we looked at how much money has gone to Boris Johnson personally in the course of this parliament. That's six million pounds in counting. But beyond that, there was a further 800,000 pounds made available secretly while he was prime minister, signed off by Simon Case, the cabinet secretary. And yet the irony is that when Boris Johnson was running the government, there was a big scandal over a much smaller sum of money, 60,000 pounds or so, to do up the Downing Street flat. We want to go back to that even though it accounts for just one hundredth of the money that's gone to Boris Johnson, because it tells us a lot about how he operates. How Downing Street, and crucially, how the Conservative Party helped him make ends meet. It's not just a personal deal, like the Sam Blythe loan facility. 
it gets us to the party donors. The moment he became prime minister, he was on a pretty shitty salary and so turned to other sources of funds. The loan from his cousin, the money from Brownlow. He's not alone in that. Prime minister's salaries are pathetically low, but it's a well-known fact. It didn't come as a shock. You either cut your expenses or you don't become PM. He should have curbed his ambitions. But why? Why curb your ambitions when so many people are keen to help you live up to them? Prime Ministers have a Downing Street refurbishment allowance of £30,000. But Carrie Simmons was going to need a lot more than that to get rid of what she had reportedly called the John Lewis nightmare left behind by Theresa May. It's never been proved that she made that remark. But what we do know is that a John Lewis van did visit Downing Street early in Theresa May's tenancy. And that Carrie Simmons wanted to replace the decor with something more to her taste. People who know Boris Johnson well say he doesn't care about material things, In fact, they go so far as to say his financial woes stem from his lack of interest in all that. The caricature of his now wife as Carrie Antoinette has certainly got sexist overtones. But again, according to people who know the couple, it's not without a grain of truth. It was when she entered the scene that his expenditure went up. The freebie holidays got more luxurious and the furnishings got more high-end. Lulu Little's wallpaper choice stretched to hundreds of pounds per metre and reportedly left the Prime Minister moaning that he couldn't afford it. Several funding options were considered, including a donor, a loan and the creation of the trust. I would imagine Boris has gone to banks, but it's much easier to borrow from a friendly bloke. He would never go bankrupt because he's got extremely wealthy friends who would always help him. In October 2020, Lord Brownlow agreed to fund the renovation. He gave CCHQ, the Conservative Party head office, nearly £60,000 towards the cost. Boris Johnson has always said he didn't know where the money came from, but the WhatsApp messages we heard at the beginning of this episode suggest otherwise. As a reminder, in the second of these messages, Lord Brownlow says, Approval is a doddle, as it's only me, and I know where the pounds will come from. Will it come from Mars? Actually, no. From Lord Brownlow. Does it matter? Well, actually, yes, for three reasons. The first is there's a quid pro quo attached to the refurbishment payments. This is the Great Exhibition Plan referred to in the first message, something Lord Brownlow is trying to get off the ground with government support. Secondly, this creates a conflict of interest that should have been declared but wasn't. And third... When the Prime Minister's own standards advisor, Lord Gite, asked Johnson if there were any communications that might show he knew where the money came from, the messages went missing. Johnson's staff told Christopher Gite the messages were lost while the Prime Minister was implementing security advice related to a mobile, his phone. But Lord Brownlow didn't lose his record of this exchange, which came to light in a separate investigation by the Electoral Commission. Lord Gite was livid. He wrote in the letter to Johnson in December 2021 of the great threat to public confidence posed by The exchanges unrecalled, the messages undisclosed, their data unconsidered and the subsequent misjudgments about the impact of the messages, which I have had to weigh. This is Mandarin speak for How dare you take me for a fool? By this time, Lord Brownlow had been granted his quid pro quo According to the Register of Ministerial Meetings, he met the then Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowden, and representatives of the Royal Albert Hall a few months after paying Boris Johnson's bills to discuss plans for Great Exhibition 2.0. As with Richard Sharp, 
and the connection to Sam Blythe, the fact that these conversations with Lord Brownlow were taking place at the same time, in the same messages, as conversations about the Prime Minister's finances, has led to further questions about potential conflicts of interest. Meanwhile, the cost of refurbishing the Downing Street flat rose above £100,000, more than three times the annual allowance. Besides £2,260 worth of wallpaper, there was reportedly a £3,000 drinks trolley and two £15,000 sofas. The story broke in the mail, and soon afterwards, Dominic Cummings, Boris Johnson's disgruntled former chief of staff, went public in his blog. The refurbishment was unethical, foolish, possibly illegal, he wrote. It almost certainly broke the rules on proper disclosure of political donations if conducted in the way he intended. The story provoked a media maelstrom. Ministers were forced to state on the record that the costs of the refurbishment had been met by the Prime Minister personally. During PMQs, conscious of this caveated response, Labour leader Keir Starmer asked specifically, Who initially, and Prime Minister initially is the key word here, who initially paid for the redecoration of his Downing Street flat? After a small tangent... You should know that I paid for uh, Downing Street refurbishment personally, uh, Mr Speaker. Despite the specific formulation of that question, the emphasis on initially, Boris Johnson swerved. But the point had been made. Pressure was mounting. You can carry on ask, asking me the, the question. I, I won't be able to give you any further information because I simply don't know the answer, but the Cabinet Secretary will, and it will be published. Right, the main this, thing is this all viewers, happened at the beginning of last said, year. The your view is to know is the Prime Minister has in any case paid for this stuff. Yeah, so we can carry on talking about where the money came from. Because, because the thing is, if where, where the money came from is significant because people want to know, was anything done in return? Has it been properly declared? Has all the right tax been paid on it? Was it given by a donor? Was it loaned by the party? These are significant questions. And it is pretty remarkable that more than a year on, you don't know the answer. None of us know the answer. I mean, how many people does it take to ask the Prime Minister where he got 58 grand from? Boris Johnson asked his Cabinet Secretary, Simon Case, to investigate. But before Case had anything to show for his investigation, he was called before Parliament's Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Committee and asked repeatedly whether private donations would be used to cover the cost of the refurbishment. His answers left people scratching their heads. Forgive me for being rude, Mr Case, but in terms of answering Mr Jones's question... So I was just going to come on to the date... It would be be most helpful if you'd do so. Thank you. So, um, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that a charitable trust can't cover um, uh, uh, private areas of Downing Street. So it's uh, clear that that can't be done. The second... Just, just, sorry, forgive me, just interrupting there. You say that a a charitable trust can't cover private areas of Downing Street. I think we uh, understand that. But in any event, as I understand it, there's no such trust in being yet, is there? Correct. As I was saying, this is one of the things that's being explored, yes. the, the trust. And so so, 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 so if you recall, my question was, essentially, are any private donations being used to pay the cost of refurbishing the Prime Minister's flat in Downing Street? So I think, as the uh, Prime Minister um, has said, all of this will be um, uh, declared in the uh, proper way. The Prime Minister 
will make um, relevant declarations. Um, so, so, his so you're not answering that question now. Are you aware yourself whether any private donations have been used to cover the cost of um, refurbishing the flat at Downing Street? So, w- what I'm uh, what I'm happy to tell you is that um, the Prime Minister has asked me to conduct. Uh, a review because I was not been involved um, uh, directly in this. The Prime Minister has asked me to conduct a, a for, review. For, forgive me, Mr. Kaysa, I, I, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I asked you whether you were aware whether or not any private donations had been used to re- refurbish the flat. I mean, that's a straightforward yes or no, really. Simon Case dodges the question again, and the chair of the committee intervenes. Forgive the impertinence of the question, but the last review you've, you've spoken to has gone on for months. So how long will this review take? Um, uh, uh, I, again, I, I suspect it would only be a matter of uh, weeks. Mr Jones? Yes, I, I, I still would like Mr Case to tell the committee whether or not he is aware whether any private donations were used to pay the cost of refurbishing the flat. Look, uh, Mr. Jones... Are you, are, you are you aware of that, Mr. Case? So I have... Um, I, I do not have all of the, the facts and details at my disposal on this. Um, Why the Prime Minister's asked me to conduct this review and, as I said, um, set out that, those conclusions for the committee. That's absolutely fine. So you don't have all those details? It's painful. Reporting this now, with the benefit of hindsight, Simon Case's position seems all the more precarious. On the one hand, he'd previously facilitated a secret loan guarantee for the Prime Minister, the Sam Blythe line of credit that he'd signed off on his own interpretation of the rules. On the other, as the mountain of Matt Hancock WhatsApp messages have shown, Simon Case recognised that the Prime Minister was what he called a nationally distrusted figure. Ultimately, Simon Case's investigation was superseded by two others, one by the Electoral Commission and the other by the Prime Minister's ethics adviser, Lord Geit. The Electoral Commission fines the Conservative Party £17,800 for what it called serious failings in the party's compliance systems. Its report says... In this instance, the payment, the money to do up Downing Street, was incorrectly described in internal records and the full value of the donation was not correctly identified and reported. Consequently, it was not included in our donation publication. Lord Guite, meanwhile, rules that Boris Johnson acted unwisely, although he says the Prime Minister hasn't actually broken any ministerial rules. Part of the point of fines and rap knuckles is to change behaviour, but there's little sign of that. Instead, there are questions. Questions about how the Prime Minister was suddenly able to cough up the cash to cover the cost of the refurbishment, where previously he had required outside funds. And rumours, in the weeks before Boris Johnson's forced from office, of an undeclared flow of money. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. The risks posed by AI range from bias in decision making to misinformation and the misuse of personal information all at an unprecedented scale. Nearly a quarter of UK businesses understand that the regulatory landscape is changing fast, and nearly half are tracking new regulatory guidance to be responsive to emerging best practice. The EY Responsible AI Service helps organisations innovate safely, providing confidence that AI and generative AI technologies are developed and managed ethically, transparently and sustainably and that potential regulatory and reputational risks are identified and mitigated. Discover how you can create a better working world with AI by going to ey.ai. As with the unanswered questions about the Downing Street flat, it's worth remembering that in the case of Sam Blythe's £800,000 loan facility, we still don't know who made the actual loan or why Simon Case decided it didn't need to be declared. For all the talk of transparency at the heart of British government, Westminster doesn't believe it got anything like the whole story. Multiple MPs have told me that a serving cabinet minister told colleagues he helped subsidise Boris Johnson's lifestyle. Another is said to have paid off his tailoring bill. A third is rumoured to have helped negotiate the divorce settlement. These have been categorically denied by Johnson's team. A spokesman told Tortoise, This is completely untrue. All of Boris Johnson's interests are properly registered and declared. No MP has ever helped subsidise his lifestyle. No MP has ever helped with his divorce settlement. But the rumours flew around so freely that Boris Johnson was challenged about them on the floor of the House of Commons by the senior Conservative backbencher William Ragg. Mr Speaker, I am not a cynical sort, but I was, I was slightly perplexed this week Uh, when the Cabinet Secretary and the Director of Government Propriety and Ethics, no less, were banned from attending my committee to give evidence which had been scheduled for two months. I I cannot possibly think why, Mr Speaker. But I wonder which particular subjects my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, was most concerned being raised by my committee. Was it the case of undeclared loans and donations in kind? security insights into appointments to the House of Lords, or indeed the consultation of the Propriety and Ethics Units with ministerial appointments. There it all is, in one elegant question. Donations in kind, peerages as thank yous, and undeclared loans, known unknowns morphing from rumour to supposition under the protection of parliamentary privilege. Boris Johnson doesn't even attempt to deny this. He simply says... Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I, I can assure him, I know he's not a cynic, he's, an, he's one of nature's idealists, uh, Mr Speaker, and uh, I, I will make sure that uh, all relevant ministers and civil servants uh, appear before his committee. One month after that exchange, 
and with Boris Johnson's grip on power slipping away, the Conservative Party held its annual summer fundraising event at the Victoria and Albert Museum. That was where Ben Elliott, co-chairman of the party and a key member of Boris Johnson's team, sat on the board as a trustee. He'd been a trustee since 2017, having been reappointed by Boris Johnson in January 2021 for another four-year term. Amid questions about whether the event was a misuse of his position at the museum, trustees have to follow a code of conduct stipulating they should be and be seen to be politically impartial. The fundraiser attracted its usual mix of high and low-profile donors. Lubov Chnerkin was there. She's the former wife of Vladimir Chnerkin, a minister under Vladimir Putin in the early noughties. She's also an investment banker who has given more than £2 million to the Conservative Party. So was Peter Crudus, Lord Crudus. He's another big donor who's been in the headlines recently as the leading light in the unofficial Bring Back Boris campaign. It's no great surprise to find either of them at a splashy fundraising event for the Conservatives, but alongside them was another guest who hasn't been seen so often in the limelight. Christopher Harborn. In the Register of MPs' Interests, which came out in January this year, there's a deceptively innocuous entry in Boris Johnson's column. Name of donor? Christopher Harborn. Address of donor? Private. Amount of donation? One million pounds to the office of Boris Johnson Limited. That donation, a million pounds, not to a political party, remember, but to a backbench MP, is the biggest of its kind there has ever been in this country. It went, as you'll have spotted, to the office of Boris Johnson Limited, a private limited company set up in October last year, a month before Christopher Harborn poured his money into it. A gift of that size is bound to raise two questions. What do we know about the person who gave it? And what do we know about what it's for? If our parliamentary system was committed to transparency, you might think the answers to these questions would be easy to find. Unsurprisingly, they are not. Let's start with the man who gave the money. Man returns home to find neighbours playing crash-landed on his patio. This was the first moment, the only moment really, when Christopher Harborn made the news with a bang. It was 2008 and he had crashed a small plane into a neighbour's garden in the south of England while he was trying to land on an airstrip at his wife's house. He got a nasty cut to his head and was airlifted to hospital. It was an uncomfortable brush with the headlines. Until then, he'd made his money unobtrusively as a management consultant at McKinsey before starting his own company called Sheriff Global Group, which buys and sells private planes. He's got another company which trades aviation fuel, which he set up in Thailand 20 years ago. That's where he lives. And when he's there, he goes by a Thai name, Chakrit Sakankrit. Since 2019, Christopher Harborn has given vast sums to British political causes, more than 15 million altogether. As far as we can tell, he's never spoken publicly about his political interests, but you can figure them out if you follow the money. More than £13.5 million out of that 15 went to the Brexit party. The rest has gone to the Conservatives and to Boris Johnson. At that fundraising bash at the Victoria and Albert Museum, a former colleague of mine, a reporter called Henry Dyer, talked to Christopher Harborn briefly as he left. What had been on his mind that evening? Hello, Mr Harborn. That's the main message. The first part of the recording is slightly muffled. What he says is, free Julian Assange, free Julian Assange, main message. It's very opaque, 
deliberately so, you might think. Can I ask why you're, um, you're back giving to the Conservative Party after funding the Brexit Party for so long? No. Don't want to talk about it. Fair enough. Can I ask if you bid on any auction prizes? The way Christopher Harborn structures his businesses is also designed to make them difficult to interrogate. His name and the companies he's associated with crop up in the Panama Papers, the giant leak of information about offshore finance. And one of his companies in particular, AML Global Payments, serves as a good guide to the sort of complex arrangements that he can put in place. On its registration page at Company's House, AML Global Payments names six officers, as they're called. Only two of them are people. One of those is Christopher Harborn. The others are companies, and those companies are registered in places where financial information can be hard to come by. The British Virgin Islands, Singapore and Hong Kong. It means you can't really see who's involved in running that company or who benefits from it. Alongside his interest in planes and the fuel for them, we know that Christopher Harborn more recently got into cryptocurrency in a serious way. The Wall Street Journal has just reported that he owns about 12% of a crypto coin called Tether, which has assets of around $68 billion. A stake of that size in a company with that amount of assets to invest could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Christopher Harborn's involvement with Tether and its sister companies seems active. The paper says that after Tether's owners tried and failed to open an account at a bank in New York, Christopher Harborn opened one in the name of his aviation fuel company. What the bank didn't realise at first was that Christopher Harborn had that big stake in Tether and, under his Thai name, he had earlier been added to a list of names the bank felt were trying to evade anti-money laundering controls. When they spotted that the new account, which notionally belonged to a fuel company, was linked to Tether and its sister company, the bank closed it down. The journal also noted that not long after Christopher Harborn made a donation to the Conservative Party early last year, the government promised to make the UK a global hub for crypto asset technology. In other words, they promised to make the UK an easier place for companies like Tether to do business. It's taken me only about three minutes to lay out the great majority of the information about Christopher Harborn that's out there in public. It's not much, and it's not accidental that there's so little. But if it's not easy to learn much about the man who made the biggest donation ever to an MP, what about the other important question? Why did Christopher Harborn give a million pounds to the office of Boris Johnson Limited? Was it for a particular purpose, or for him to spend as he sees fit? The company's house website says the office of Boris Johnson has until July 2024 to file its first set of accounts, so we may have to wait more than a year to find out how it's spending its money. I asked Boris Johnson's spokesman what the money was to be used for, and he sent back a statement. The office of Boris Johnson Limited is a private limited company established by the former Prime Minister to fund his private office. It doesn't carry out commercial or campaigning activities. It does not pay a dividend or income. Mr Johnson does not have access to its funds. This is consistent with the arrangements established by other former Prime Ministers. That's quite a lot about what the money won't be used for, and not much about what it will. But in essence, this cash is being used to pay for a private office, staffing and other costs. When we started work on our Westminster Accounts project, the work we did with Sky News to pull together in one place all the information that exists about money that flows into Parliament, we were told time and time again that the system is transparent. It's not. The Westminster Accounts showed that, 
And the story of Boris Johnson's money shows the problem is getting worse. A million pounds can go as a donation to a single member of parliament, and we know next to nothing about it. The whole theory of how members of parliament avoid conflicts of interest is that we should be able to see what interests the people who pay them have. We should be able to see the actions the MPs take. We should be able to judge whether an MP is acting in the interest of someone who's paying them. Where does the case of Christopher Harborn and Boris Johnson leave that theory? Well, not dissimilar to the reputations of so many caught up in the former Prime Minister's sphere, tarnished at best, potentially in tatters. It's impossible, on the basis of the information we can see, to reach a sensible understanding of what Christopher Harborn's interests are. He lives in Thailand, he runs his businesses in ways that fight transparency, and he's never told us why he's donated such huge sums to the Brexit Party, the Conservative Party, and Boris Johnson. And because we can't know what Christopher Harborn's interests are, we can't make a judgment about whether or not Boris Johnson is furthering them. It leaves people like the former MP, Tom Brake, who now runs a cross-party pressure group called Unlock Democracy, calling for a change in the rules. Someone who's so dependent on others, Lord Brownlow, the Bamfords, Christopher Harborn, to supplement their income, is always going to be vulnerable to pressure. The larger the financial subsidy, the greater the donor's expectations and the more pressure Boris Johnson will be under. What does Christopher Harborn's £1 million donation buy? It certainly buys access and influence, and we don't know what else. There is a simple solution, of course, and that would be to cap donations at a reasonable level. Uh, We would argue £5,000. That would limit any donor's leverage. Boris Johnson's need for an income that outstripped his prime ministerial salary was well known, discussed not just at intimate meetings, but trumpeted on the front pages of the newspapers. After all, this is how, we are told, Sam Blythe came to learn of his distant cousin's need for help. And while those who know him say the former prime minister is not the sort of person who leads a champagne lifestyle, he is certainly accustomed to some of the finer things in life, like exclusive residences, luxury villas and holidays away from the hurly-burly of Westminster. In the next episode of The Six Million Pound Man, R&R, Johnson style. This was reported by me, Kat Nealon, and produced by Matt Russell. Sound design was by Carla Patella, and the editors were Giles Wattell and Kerry Thomas. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 